This is Mona Lisa, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, we are talking about music. We go deep on some records. I learned about some things I wasn't familiar with, which uh, doesn't happen that often. It happens, obviously. My guest is Mona Lisa Murray. If you're not familiar, Mona Lisa's a great DJ and an important part of the hip-hop scene, the club scene here in L.A. She's part of the Motown on Mondays crew, the Dub Lab crew, Amoeba Records, Beat Junkies, Ladies of Sound. Uh, the list goes on and on. And, you know, I love this conversation because we're not just talking about her career and all the things she's accomplished, but, you know, you can hear in the way she tells her stories. It's really about the community that raised her as a DJ, that nurtured her, that encouraged her, and that she contributes and gives back to as well. And she talks about folks like Spinderella, Pete Rock, Rhettmatic, TJ Dusk. Um, the list goes on and on. It's, it's, uh, she's showing us a great way to build a career and a life that um, has meaning on so many levels. So really enjoy this one, and I think you will too. Let's get into it. Right on. Well, yeah, thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. It uh, feels like we've known each other kind of forever. And, you know, you've been a big part of the, the scene. Forever, the culture, yes. Right? Um, and, uh, and like I said, you've been a, yes. a big part of the scene and the culture and, and you know, all this stuff that we, that we love. And uh, so I'm excited to dig into some of the details with you. Um, so I know... Sure. I know... Uh, Anyway, I, I want to talk through some of your history, but, you know, I always like to start at the beginning. And um, and so do you remember the first record you ever bought? Yeah. When our families would get together, my uncles would always say, here, come here, let me give you some change. Let me give you a dollar. So I always collected all that little money from them. So um, I remember when I was about seven years old, um, my mom was like, uh, you know, she's going to go to the record store. I said, I want to get some records. She's like, how are you going to get records? You don't have any money. <laughs> and I said, I, I have some money. And I pull out my little $3. And um, I said, I want that song that goes flash. And they, they were going to get the album anyway. So they picked up uh, Parliament Funkadelics. Um, I mean, Parliament's uh, Placebo. What was it Funk, Funk, Funk and Teleki versus the Placebo Syndrome? That's, That's the right. whole title of the album, but that was the first album that I bought. And then I also got Brick's uh, self-titled album because it had Ain't Gonna Hurt Nobody on it. And mm-hmm. I started singing that one, too. So we picked up those two albums. So those are the first two albums I ever had. I mean, first of all, it doesn't get any better than those two records. Uh, and as a seven-year-old, right. <laughs> like you were, you, were, you were on it early. Uh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I just played that Brick album front to back two days ago. 
you know, somehow it just popped up in my, uh, in my iTunes and like, I, I let the whole thing play and that record is as good today as it was mm-hmm. back then. Um, it's funny. I think brick is one of those overlooked, you know, we, we sort of forgot about them, uh, over the years, but they had some amazing, amazing records. Um, so th- that's a cool place to start your, your musical journey. Did you, um, yeah. So at, at what point did, did that start to become a career for you? Like, did you know you wanted to work in music as a kid? Well, or? my family, I always did work in music because my, my family had massive record collections. So everybody had their own style and their own stuff that they were into. But they all had like massive amounts of records. Like, I'm, like it wasn't even crates. It was just records everywhere. Yeah. My, my grandfather had his jazz. My uncles had their progressive rock. Um, one of my other uncles was into just basic classic rock. My sister was into kind of easy rock, yacht rock. Um, my mother was into Motown. My aunts and uncles were into uh, Philly soul. So it's like I got a little bit of everything through the whole mm-hmm. through the whole gambit. So I was always into music. We were a musical household. So every time when I go to school, I would ask all my friends what music they were listening to. And we all compare notes and, you know, just always talked about music. So then when I got out of school, I wanted to work at a record store first, but they weren't hiring. So. I ended up working at a clothing store, which was based around music because we did fashion shows Mm -hmm. and we did a lot of things that were, you know, just around music. So every job that I had had something to do with music in some way or another. You know, it's so funny. You talk about your family, right? And, and, you know, we did, I think, you know, our generation, we had, you associated people with genres, right? And like, yeah, that's my, that's my uncle that's into rock or that's, you know, um, and and I think, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think we have that so much anymore, um, you know, that everything has kind of blended together in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, to me, that's I'm always I'm always stuck on that. Like, that's such an interesting way to organize your life, you know, and your your friendships, your the way you dress, the, your language, all of that. Right. So much of that just stems from whatever the music you're into. Um and I know, you know, fast right. forward, like I know you're in touch with with a lot of people, you know, consuming music today. And um, ha- have you noticed anything about the way that that relationship has changed? Well, I think people are more into. It's 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 complicated. People are more into everything now because everything is kind of promoted cross-promoted and there's so many different artists that are working with each other in different genres so it's it's like it's not like it was back in the day back in the day you were kind of expected to be into a certain kind of music it's like just like you said you're supposed to be into hip-hop or you're supposed to be into rock or you're supposed to be into new wave or goth or whatever but because there's so many different people overlapping now because there's it's kind of like there's so much coming at you it's like it, it, it doesn't all stay in one field anymore. It kind of bleeds over into other genres. So it's like you can't help but be into more than one thing. So I think it has changed a lot as far as people being stuck in one genre. Sure. Hey, let's talk about sleep. I know a lot of people like to say things like, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead or we, we minimize the importance of sleep in our culture. Look here, I'm all about getting a good night's sleep. I know for me, uh, my sleep at night could be the difference between doing my best work or struggling just to make it through the day. 
it's funny when we were kids you know you fall asleep in the back seat of a moving car no seat belts uh nowadays it takes a little bit more to get a good night's sleep but now we have technology we've learned that we all have our own personal sleep style and uh, so i'm excited to have helix sleep on the show they've got a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete at home and it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to find the perfect mattress for you i took it um, in the comfort of my home Next thing I knew, I had my ideal mattress showed up at my house. Uh, I did it with my wife. Take it with your partner if you have one. It turns out we both sleep the same way. Just another example of how we seem to be perfect for each other. Um, We both sleep on the side and we like a medium firm mattress. So that's what Helix made for us. They sent it to our house and it's the best mattress I've ever owned. I'm getting the best sleep of my life, maybe except for when I was a kid in the backseat of my parents car but don't take my word for it if you're in the mood for a mattress go to helixsleep.com slash rebel radio take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress to help you get the best sleep of your life right now helix is offering up to 200 dollars off all mattresses and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash rebel radio get it Um, okay, back to, to getting started. So you said you, you always knew you wanted to work in music. Um, how'd you get put on at the beginning? Mm-hmm. So um, I was going out to clubs all the time. Um, I was one of those kids that never got to do anything when I was in high school. So as soon as I got out of school and I got <laughs> some freedom, I went everywhere. I went to every club I could get into because, again, it was me about me absorbing music. What, what um, because clubs? the kind of music I was into... I was reading about it in magazines and watching it. Um, I started, the first club I went to was Water the Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started going to uh, Funk Jungle, which was like the baby Water the Bush. Um, uh, Funk Jungle was on Hollywood Boulevard. I think it was at Mr. J's. Okay. And, um, you know, there was a lot of gypsy clubs that moved around, but they always kept the same name. So there was a United Nations, which is, it was basically the Zulus had a bunch yep. of different little clubs they were doing. So I followed the Zulus. And then... Um, I got, because I was in college, there was a guy that worked at my school uh, named Quincy, and he was a security guard for the Zulus. And so there was one day where um, I was hanging out at the dorms at Cal State LA. That's where I went to school. And he was like, I need a big favor. I got it. I need a ride to work. And he's like, where do, I was like, where do you work at? He's like, I work at a club. I said, oh, really? You work at a club? He's like, yeah. And this was me getting my first time going to Funk Jungle because I didn't realize that's what it was. And he was like, if you give me a ride to work, I'll get you in the club. And I was like, sold. I was like, you had me at, (laughs) you had me at that. So I drove him to the club and every week he would basically get us in the club. So we ended up getting into different clubs because we met all the other security guards and they all worked in different places. So we ended up getting into places like Victoria station and, Mm -hmm. and uh, paradise 24 and um, the palladium. Like we got into different places because of all the connections we had with the different security guards back then it was all about networking and who you knew. And then plus from being in the clubs, I met other people that were like, Hey, come to my club, come to my club. I have a club called peace posse. I have a club called, um, I can't even remember all the clubs back then. There were so many, Mm -hmm. but, um, a gaslight in different places. And it was just, you know, networking and meeting people. So I think after about maybe six months of this, I was going to clubs seven days a week. And then sometimes I would go to two different clubs in a night because there was two things going on in the same night. So it kind of started. And that was around, I think around 1991, 92. 
1991, 92, like around that era, it was real crazy. Mm-hmm. And plus, I didn't have a car. I had a car starting out, but then I didn't have a car, but I was still finding my way around, which was crazy. For sure. And then um, I think around 1993, around 1993, I was at um, the Far Side's listening party mm-hmm. or release party for. Um, was either bizarre? No, it was bizarre ride. Yeah. I was at their release party and I ran into um, Freestyle Fellowship's manager. I see you every time I come out here to do business. Every I see you in every club, everywhere I go. What do you do? And I was like, nothing. Like I was like, I work at Ticketmaster. I sell tickets. Um, I go to clubs. That's pretty much it. You know, I hang out with my friends. And he's like, you should be working at a record label or something. As many people as you know, and the way you move around in the club. And I was like, yeah, but I don't. I'm not in school anymore, and I don't have an internship. He's like, you don't need to be in school. You can be my intern. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I started interning for Kedar, and then. Um, I did uh, retail tracking for Freestyle Fellowship, and I did retail tracking for another group called Dirt Nation. You might remember them because they they were um, they kind of bubbled a little bit, Mm -hmm. Um, and they had a song called Khadijah that everybody was into. So um, I did that for like six months, and then um, so so the woman that I was working under, uh, Victoria Clare, she took me over to Loud. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off, but but just for anybody that doesn't know, so retail tracking, right, is is, okay. is calling the stores, right, seeing if they have products, seeing how it's selling, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I had to call the stores and, and ask if they had the product, um, mm-hmm. how much they had in stock, um, if it was selling well for them, if they were having any problems with their deliveries or with their orders. And then I was also able to figure out like there was a whole area like in the Midwest that was having problems with their shipments. And I, and I was like, what do I do? Mm. So then I had to call the distributor and find out what happened with the distributor. And there was some kind of issue with something. So I was able to figure out those kind of problems, but I was basically tracking the sales of the records with each record store. And I would start on the East coast early in the morning and work my way West because of the time zones. And it was, uh, a pretty fluid process but it was it was interesting work yeah but uh yeah i got to figure out um sales patterns and and things like that it's pretty dope so um let me think so where was that um then um victoria took me over to loud because bigger b was there um bigger b who is an icon on the west coast uh rest in peace Mm -hmm. um he was doing retail in the in the um office for loud but he wanted to go out in the fields and do the footwork he wanted to go to the stores and be face to face with the people he wanted to do more street work so he was trying to find somebody to take his place in the office while he was in the street so they brought me over there um, to interview with steve and i was hired the same day so i was interviewed on a friday and i started on a monday mm-hmm. Steve's and good that's that. how it started i started it loud nice um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, wow, so many things. I mean, first of all, like, thank you for all those memories of those clubs, because I was in a lot of those rooms. I'm sure we were in them together at some point. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, for oh, yeah. me, like, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my own career, and, and it sounds like yours, like, you know, that was such a special time because there, you know, there was this community 
who was building this culture together. And we, you know, everyone, you'd be out every night and you'd see the same people. And so, you know, strangers became acquaintances and acquaintances became friends. And it was just this like uh, accelerated path to building a a community and a culture, right? And, you know, I wonder, I don't know, maybe it is the old man in me, but, you know, I wonder sometimes like if we're losing that, because um, in some ways, like now we're connected to everybody, but we're also connected to to nobody, right? Because um, cause we're not, you know, because there there isn't right. that, uh, you know, there there aren't those those walls around that type of community. Um, I don't know if there's a question in there, right, but right, it's it's such it's so much bigger now because there's so much more of it. Yeah. There's well there's so much more of it now. There's so many more clubs, there's so many more people. There's so much there's so much more going on that it's not it's not as small anymore. Just like with records being released. Back back then there was maybe one or two records released on a Tuesday. And now yeah. there's like 350, 400 record releases on a Tuesday. So you, sure. there's no way to keep up anymore, but Yeah. It's we were it was definitely a special time for us because we got to network with people and we got to build that those relationships in that small community that's now and now most of us, if I'm not mistaken, we're still all friends to this day sure. based on all that, all those hanging outs and all that bonding that we did in the club back then. So Absolutely. It's crazy. So I guess, I guess my question is, is how do you do that today? How do you, you know, how do you maintain those bonds, that connection, that sort of like pulse on, you know, what, what on what's happening in a way that's relevant to you? It's honestly kind of difficult because it, it's I, I always think about back in the day, like, how did I keep up with everything? Like, like what back, you know, before the Internet, before all this other stuff, yeah. how did we keep up with this stuff? Like and then I realized we read magazines, we talked to each other, we we bounced off each other. We you know, watched MTV. We watched, you know, different BT or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we figured out things based on what we saw. But now it's a little bit harder because, again, there's so much going on. There's blogs. There's there's Instagram. There's there's, uh, you know, all kind of different um websites and stuff online there's so much to keep up with it's really hard to stay you know stay in tune with one particular thing i mean i struggle today because with the new stuff coming out i don't know what new stuff is out like i don't know what what the newest thing is unless like when i'm in the store i know what records are coming out because it's my job to know that right not necessarily my my specific job but it's good to be quick on your feet and know what's coming and what's not coming um Mm. because i deal with the used product i don't deal with brand new product at the store at amoeba but um but it's it's just, you know, following the path that, that, that guides you. So like, if you're into hip hop and you follow these certain things, that's what you're going to get. You're Mm going to get the information from that source, but it's just, it's hard to be into so many different things unless you're really, you know, on your feet and you already know what you're following. Absolutely. It's just, it's very tricky, but some people are doing it and I'm just like, how do you guys find out about stuff now? Like I'm, I'm starting to feel old, like I'm losing it a little bit, but you know, right when I start, right when I start feeling that way, things start coming at me. So it kind of picks itself up. But, you know, it just depends on the flow and depends on what's coming out. OK. It depends on the season, too, because right now nothing's out. So I have a chance to catch up. And then January, January was when everything starts again. So mm. I can kind of catch back up. So that works. You know, it's funny. I was just talking to my wife this morning, like, you know, it's holiday season. And, and you know, I remember when you were a kid, you used to get you used to get records or CDs or whatever for Christmas. Um and you know that was that was the thing right was mm-hmm. those were you know those were gifts um i don't know what that's been replaced with 
uh, and I'm sure some people, you know, I'm sure some people still come into Amoeba, you know, to buy music for, for gifts, but you know, it's not the same as, as what it used to be. Um, so, so interesting. What, it, what is, um, so, so let's go back to you. So, um, now you're known as a DJ, uh, how'd you get started DJing? So that story is, is many years unfolding. I actually, in around 1990, when I was going to those same clubs and talking about, I used to hang out with different people at their houses because I never wanted to be at home during the day. I had a, a, a home life where, you know, once I didn't have a car, I was like, well, I got to get out somehow. So I just hop on the bus and go to somebody's house. Mm -hmm. So um, Vicious Lee, who's one of my good friends, um, I go to his house and watch him DJ. You know, he'd be like, well, I'm just going to be here practicing my set if you want to come over here. And I'm like, okay. And I come over and hang out and he would just be practicing his sets. So he was practicing a blend one day and he started playing uh, Sensitivity by Ralph Tresvant. And then I started singing, that's the way love goes along with it. And he was like, you just figured that out by listening. And I was like, yeah, just they just sound like they go together. And he was like, you know, he's like, you'd be a dope DJ. You know, there's not that many girls DJing. You, you would be a dope DJ. And I was like, yeah, but if I tried to bring all these records home and try to bring all this stuff home, my mother would kill me. And, like, I, I, and I'm just thinking like that, like my mom would kill me if I tried to do this. Like, it's not gonna, and she didn't understand the art of, of DJing. Nobody really did at that time. So I was like, nah, I'm not gonna even try it. And I just kind of pushed it off for a long time. And then three years later, um, Mark Love showed me some things at the Farside Manor. He was showing me like the, you know, different things of DJing, like scratching and mm -hmm. scratching phrases and blending records together and stuff like that. And I was like, well, that's cool. And it's like, now at least now I know how to do it if I ever want to do it. But it just eluded me. So um, over the years, if I went to somebody's house that had records, I would grab some records and play around. And I always got compliments and people were always like, yeah, you should DJ. But I was like, can't bring all this stuff home and then once i left home it was just a matter of having the space and because everybody was mobile djs you know they had the speakers and sure. the, the crates of records and they had the, everything you know and i just never felt like i had enough space so i was like no nah, i don't have the space never thought to make the space because at that point there were so many of my friends that were really good djs i was like i'll never be as good as them so why should i even start now like because there was nobody back then that was starting to dj everybody mm -hmm. was already established and killing it so i was like if i start now i'm gonna be so late and you know and just getting all this stuff and then getting started and figuring it out and you know it was just all these reasons why i kept talking myself out of it so finally after years and years of going over people's houses um I ended up um, hanging out with Spinderella and doing some work for her and um, ended up helping her get organized because she was she was doing a lot of gigs back then. And she was like, you know, going from one gig to another. And she's like, I want to change my crates up. I want to do these things. But I got all this stuff going on. And I was like, I got you out. I'm not working right now. So I'll come over and help you. And she happened to live around the corner for me. Mm. So I started hanging out at her house and I would, you know, practice myself, but not practice. But I'm just, you know, passing the time. I'm not thinking that I'm practicing learning or anything. So. Uh, one day Pete Rock was over there and um, she was making food for him and he was playing on the PlayStation. And um, I started DJing because I was bored and, you know, didn't want to just sit there and do nothing. So I started playing records and he started complimenting me and he finally asked me, he said, hey, he's like, are, are you an, an actual DJ? Do you DJ in clubs? And I was like, 
no. But I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, he's asking me this. This is crazy. So um, she kind of gave me a look from the kitchen, like, you know, you might want to think about it. And I was just like, so I did some real, you know, thinking, like, should I just start? I mean, I know how to do it for the most part. Um, you know, let me let me think about it. So um, I started asking, I asked the beat junkies what they thought, and they all gave me their blessing because I've been giving them records for years from sure. doing club promotions and whatnot. So they knew that I, you know, had access to the music and, you know, knew what I was doing. <clears throat> so they were like, yeah, you know, go for it. But the thing is, back then, Serato was just coming out. Like, mm -hmm. Serato was the, the brand new thing. And um, I was uh, working with Spinderella on that. But I was like, I don't want Serato. I want to play records. Like, if I'm going to DJ, I want to play records. And that worked out for a while. But then I started getting hired based on what I was doing with the records. And people wanted me to play more current music. So I eventually transitioned over to Serato. But yeah. the, the basic beginning was about 2006. Okay. Um, and then also, um, Dusk, DJ Dusk, who was a good friend of mine, he had passed away. Yeah. And he was somebody who I would talk to about all the music that was off the cuff. Like, we would talk about um, Cuban music, and we talk about Brazilian music, and we talk mm -hmm. about breaks and, and, and like weird stuff and like uh, Frank Zappa and, you know, all kind of different stuff. And I couldn't have those conversations with everybody because everybody didn't have that stuff. And most people were into like what was popular. They were into sure. what was on the radio or what we grew up on, but they weren't into like stuff that was kind of off the path. So I enjoyed our, our conversations. So once he passed away, I was like, you know, there's a lot of music that people aren't going to hear anymore because of him and that people aren't going to be educated on. Mm -hmm. And I felt like since all my friends are playing no brainer music, they're all playing the Tribe Called Quest and the De La Soul and the and the and the, the Biggie and the and the Jay Z. I want to play the the other stuff. I want to play the the stuff that you don't hear all the time. I want to play the old school. I want to play the the random B sides or the album cuts or the like. I want to play stuff that's different. I never wanted to be like a mainstream DJ. I wanted to do just off the cuff. I mean, over the years I've had to adjust to that, but. I never wanted to be mainstream. So when I started, I was just opening in clubs, like for the first hour playing like, like rare grooves and mellow, like, you know, stuff that, that people wouldn't trip off of hearing like at prime time, you know, like mm -hmm. early stuff. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about two or three years. And then I finally really started getting some gigs in 2009. Like that's when things kind of blew up for me. So okay, that was the launch of it. That was nice. the beginning. Nice. What was the gig in 2009 that made you feel like, I, you know, I, I, I can do this. Well, I used to go to Firecracker. Um, it, it was every first and third uh, Friday jam. at Grand Star downtown, yeah. downtown Chinatown. And that was my favorite place because it was always a, a smorgasbord of music. You could hear anything in there from, from yacht rock to hip hop, to, to goth music, to new wave, to, you know, yep. Duran Duran, to, uh, you know, Biggie, you could hear anything in there. So it was like, I love being there because it was never, you were never cheated out of your musical experience. You got the best of everything. Mm -hmm. So that was my first official outside gig. Um, and all my friends were there and they were cheering me on and, and everybody was like, you're going to kill it. You're going to kill it. I'm like, but you haven't even heard me play yet. They're like, dude, we know you. We know your taste in music. We know what you've done. We know who you've been around. You're going to kill it. And I was just like, okay. And everybody loved the set. I mean, I feel like I, you know, of course it was my first gig out. So I was nervous and I had some technical difficulties, but it was, it was, it was, it was dope. I mean, it was a dope experience anyway. It was like, it felt good and everybody was there. And I was like, okay, I got, I got over this hurdle. So I think I can do this. This is cool. 
I mean, down the line, of course, there, you know, Serato had its technical difficulties and things sure. like that. And, you know, but it all worked out from that point on. It was just sky's the limit. I mean, first of all, shout out to Lisa and the Firecracker crew. That was, it's still, you know, those were some of my favorite nights yes, in my, in my whole life um, spent in there. And, and, you know, I used to love, yes. I mean, there was a time when I was there every other, you know, every other week. Um, and, uh, and I, once in a while I would just sit downstairs and listen to the jazz and eat Chinese food and, you know, just maybe dip in upstairs and check in on yeah. people. But, um, but yeah, that place was, was so much fun. You, you're taking me back now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also, I'm sensing a little pattern with you, which is like, you know, seeing something that, you know, that's calling to you and other people seeing the possibility in it for you, whether it's Spinderella or whether it's Kedar, right? And, you know, you may be feeling like, you know, you, you can't do it. And then, and then somebody else showing you uh, that you can. Is that, does, that, does that ring true? And is that still the case or, or has that changed for you? It, it rings true, but it's not, it, it's not the same in every case. Like, it depends on what's in front of me. Like, I'd never seen anyone start DJing you know like I'm saying like everybody back then was already established so it was intimidating for me to start to be behind I was like well I have so much catching up to do like there's there's like you know where am I going to fit in here like and and then the the one thing that used to mess me up in the brain is that I was like well J-Rock is like the best DJ I've ever seen and if I can't be as dope as J-Rock then why do it and everybody's like you're never going to be as dope as J-Rock I mean you know that's just the reality J-Rock is an entity of in, in within himself so you're never going to be at that level of djing but you can get to your own level yeah. of djing and you can be your own you can be you you don't have to be kilu or daz or or mark love you, you can just be you as a yeah. dj and i was like oh well now that you put it that way like it never it never registered to me that i could just be me i just felt the pressure of having to be as dope as all these other people around me and it was like but i can't do that so once i got out of that i got out of that mindset and I have to give the credit to Red Matic for for having this conversation with me. Mm. Um, once I got out of that mindset, I was like, "Oh, well, okay. Well, if I ain't got to be hit, if I can just be me, then I'll just be me." So that encouraged me to go at my own pace and to do it my way and to play what I wanted to play and 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 just do it my way. And that's how it all worked out. So now, as I move forward, I just always think, you know, I'm just going to do me. Like I don't have to be like these other people. I could just do me. And the more I the more I move forward on that. I see that that's kind of the way to go because there's so many DJs I know that just do their own thing sure. and they're just as successful and as as content as the DJs that are playing the, the radio stuff and doing all the club stuff. Yeah. So, and then with other things that I do, it just depends on what it is. Like there's some things where I'm like, I'm just going to go do it. And there's some things like, I'm not going to do that because I can't do that. But, you know, it depends on what the thing is and where my mind is at it. But as far as DJing goes, like I've pretty much snapped out of it. But people are trying to get me now to write a book about everything I've been through. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Because it's the same thing. Like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if there's a lot of I don't knows, but I'm not pressuring myself on that. It's like, if it happens, it'll happen. So I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that happen naturally. Well, first of all, I would love to read that book. Um, So I'm (laughs) going to encourage you to write it. And I'm going to tell you, I actually was talking to another friend this week, you know, going through something different. I was like, write the book. You don't have to ever share it with anybody. If you decide it's not, you know, if you finish it and you're like, it's not good enough or this is not what I wanted it to be or whatever, then 
then you don't have to publish it, but you should write it. And uh, that's a good way to look at it. You know, because I, I think I mean you do have you do have so many good stories, and I think you're you know you're um, in some ways like you're a, a product of this this community, right? Like so many people have come together, have you know you've crossed paths and influenced people, and they've influenced you, and and uh, you know it's you're you know you're a part of the the story of of what we have here. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people would love to to read that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about it. All right. <laughs> uh, well, I know that's, a, I know that's easier said than done. Um, right. Talk about, so talk about DJing. Um, I think I read in your bio, it says your, your style is anything with a groove and you talked a little bit about kind of going off the beaten path. So now, you know, when you, when you're starting a set, how much of that is planned? How much is freestyle? Like how you know? Do you do you start with an intention or what? What is it like? Well, every situation is different. Um, sometimes I already know what I'm going to play, and sometimes it's just like, you know, what it is. If it's a crowd that's expecting a certain sound, then I kind of stick to that sound. Mm -hmm. But I also always try to sneak in something else. Like if I'm playing, if I'm doing an old school set, I'll I'll sneak in for you know no brain so slave funkadelic whatever, and then I'll throw in a random one-way song. Or a, a random funk song that, that's from something I found on a compilation or whatever. Or I'll, you know, I'll just throw it in and just see how it works. And sometimes the crowd sticks with it. Sometimes they kind of go, whoa, what is this? I don't know this. Because the one thing that's frustrating about DJing is that when you're DJing for people that don't know a song they kind of okay well let me go to the bathroom and let me go get a drink sure. as opposed to saying and saying hey what is this i like this what you know and and staying with the groove you know there's certain people that do that and there's certain people that take off so you kind of gotta you know prepare yourself for that like that was one thing that used to bother me earlier in the in my career when i would be djing and i would lose the crowd and i'd be like what did i do what happened oh my god but you just have to keep going like okay let's find something else they might like and then just pick it up so I always try to sneak in something that is unfamiliar to the familiar. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to a crowd that's just, just needs atmosphere, I just go through and, and, and figure out like all the newer stuff that I just discovered or stuff that I've been wanting to play that I can't play for the familiar crowd. Or like, right. I just dig through and, you know, find what I can find. Um, as far as records, it's just like, I'll go through and I'll just try to pick a vibe for whatever the, the occasion suggests. And I just put them in order. But when it comes to my computer, I do a different thing with my computer. I have so many songs in my computer that I'd never get to see because there's like 22,000 songs in there. So I'll think of a word, like I'll look around the room and I'll see a word on the record cover and I'll type that word in the computer mm. and see how many songs come up with that word. And then I'll look through the songs and listen to them and see if something jumps out at me. So if I have time, like if I'm just kind of, you know, kicking back or whatever i'll do that and that helps me discover songs that i forgot about or stuff that i put in there that i meant to play and didn't or whatever but it helps me um throw stuff in my playlist that i forgot about yeah so that's just something that that works for me and it's and sometimes i'll leave the computer on shuffle and then a song will come on and i'll be like okay wait a minute i need to play that that needs to be heard out in the club somewhere sure. so it's all different it just all depends on what the gig is really yeah yeah, that makes sense. And I, you know, I hear a lot of DJs talk about, you know, there's some records you play for yourself, 
There's some you play because you're trying to get a specific reaction out of the crowd. Um, uh, you know, I think you play a lot of the a lot of the places you play. You know, if it's uh, Motown on Mondays or like you play for very uh, knowledgeable crowds, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's not your, you know, it's not the Hollywood clubs with the, everybody's just there for Instagram, right? But people right. are into the music. They know the music. You can go a little deeper. Um, and, and I think, you know, they like to be challenged. But but you can go too far, right? Um, yeah. And sure. so, you know, that's interesting. How do you – so I know you also do um, uh, Dub Lab and, you, you know, you do uh, – you know, you have sets up online that are not live or not, not in front of a live audience – how is that different? Because you can't read the room, right? And and people are listening, you know, in at home or or after the fact or whatever. How how do you approach that differently? So the thing about Dub Lab that's dope, it's always been dope to me, is that people are listening to Dub Lab to just discover, just to just because they know that they're going to listen to Dub Lab and they're going to hear something that's that's good. They know they're going to hear something that is going to be off the path and something that's going to be, you know, it's going to be good. They, mm-hmm. they just have a reputation for that. Um, I remember the first um, set that I ever did for Dub Lab was in 2009 and it was, a, it was a world music set. And I was like, you know, again, my conversations with Dusk were like my introduction and my uh, some of my education into world music. So mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot. So between Dusk and also giving credit to B plus because B plus um, traveled a lot to the uh, South America and different places. So between the two of them, I got a lot of knowledge about uh, world music. So I put all that into a set and put it together. And I'm like, OK, the way Dub Lab's audience is known, I I knew they were the the audience would like it, but I had no idea. Like they have, um, um, you know, ways to track the the pattern sure. of the downloads and listens or whatever, and it got a lot of listens. So everybody's like, yeah, people, you know, really loved your set. And again, this is 2009 when I'm just starting, so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, wow, they they like my set. That's cool. So that always stayed in the back of my mind, and I always kept Dub Lab in you know in my sights. Um, so, you know, listening over the years, I knew what other people played and I knew how they did stuff. And I was like, okay, I know how the patterns go on the station. So when I was offered the opportunity for a show, I was like, wow, okay, I get to play all this stuff that I've been wanting to play in the club that I can't, I have a place to play it now. Mm -hmm. So that's worked out great because I can, I can, my, my first instinct to do that was, or instinct was to have my records on display because I have so many records in this apartment that I don't get to play and they're so good. And I was like, let me pull these records out, start playing these records. And that has been such a journey. That's why I called it past the rhythm because a lot of these records, they don't look like they're funky, but they are like, they got jams on them and you can dance to them. And it's like, there's, there's uh, kraut rock groups like Titanic I'm a rock and roll and loser to the end. And other groups that have like such funk on them. And it's like, you know, people just don't know. And it's like the, the past the rhythm can go any genre. They can go, you know, sure. through rock. They can go through, you know, the different countries or whatever. And that was my goal. So, I mean, I've stuck with that goal for the last... Uh, four years that I've been on Dub Lab, but um, I've been transitioning more into mixes because people have been giving feedback that they want 
more mixes, but they also love what I'm playing. So I can do both. Mm -hmm. um, I'm starting to transition now to where I'm, I'm going to do one hour of song by song and then one hour of mixing. That way I can please everybody. Oh, cool. But it's always going to be something that's kind of off the cuff. I mean, every now and then I'll play something super familiar, but it's because it blends well with other stuff. And that's, you know, like I was saying before, like playing the familiar and then playing the unfamiliar. So you can keep people interested. So, but that's worked out well as far as um, me being able to play diverse music. And there's, there's not really a crowd to read, but the crowd, I just wanted them to come. Like mm -hmm. I remember Rich Medina giving me some advice before when I was having trouble getting people to dance early on in my sets. He was like, just start your own party and they'll come. Like if you, you you feel like you have a party going on in your in your your playlist or in your mind in your crate, he's like just start the party and they'll show up. He's like I guarantee you they'll show up. They can't. The music is good. Yeah. Whether whether you're playing it good or not, if the music is good, they're gonna show up. And sure. I was like okay. And so that that's basically how I feel. Like if I'm you know if I'm not in a good mood or if I'm not feeling like doing my show or whatever, I just say you know what, let me pull out some jams that are gonna get me out of this funk and get me into a, a vibe where I can please people and that works and then i do it and then the people at dub that tell me like your show is doing great mm. and if we don't up we don't, if we don't upload your show on time people are like where's her show we want to hear her show so i nice. was like to hear that 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 put me over the moon and that made me inspired me to keep going to keep doing the show yeah, not like not that i ever wanted to quit but it's like i got to points where i'm like what am i going to play this month like what do i do like what do i and i don't really have that struggle anymore it's just kind of like okay Let's knock these songs out. And then once I start building the play playlist, it just all comes together and then and it's done. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some of those records? If you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're not feeling it, you need to get the party started either for yourself or for the crowd. What, what are some of those records that you go to? Um, there is um, Love Has Come Around by Donald Byrd. Mm. Um, there is, gosh, there's so many, um, uh, I'm trying to think, trying to think, Walking Into Sunshine by Central Line. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, Star Love by Three Ounces of Love. There is, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of, gosh, there's so many different, um, Spread Love by uh, Spread Love has been done by so many different people. Um, not Spread Love by Take Six. That's a good one, too. Mm -hmm. But um, Spread Love by Al Hudson and the Partners. Okay. Um, there is, um, gosh, um, ooh, um, Mainline by Black Ivory. Um, uh, I'm trying to think because <laughs> I'm not in music mode right now. Um, <laughs> no, those are good. Um, yeah there's a there's a there's a lot i mean it's just little jams here and there i mean even like strawberry letter 23 gets people to start you know starts the groove and then mm -hmm. people you know they kind of get into it um but yeah there's just so many yeah. but yeah I, I, that's that's the thing about finding stuff that's off the path because you could easily say oh funkadelic oh you could say slave or you could say cameo or you could say but it's cool to be able to talk about different stuff that people aren't aware of absolutely it's funny that Donald Byrd record, like, I, I don't even know where I've heard that, but it pops into my head probably like once a month, just the, the melody. It just, you know, I can't, I can't get rid of it. Not that I want to. The, fir 
the first time I heard that record, Diallo Riddle was DJing at Zanzibar and I was working at the front door as the cashier. And I was sitting there and I was like, what is it just because it's such a yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's such a spiritual, it's such a, a beautiful song. It's just, it's a beautiful song about love. Sure. And I was just like, I would get goosebumps and everything. And, you know, it's very rare that I get the goosebumps. When I get goosebumps, that means something is really, really hitting me. Right. So I got goosebumps and I was like, what is this? And so I sent him a text message and I was like, dude, what is this? And when he finished DJing, he walked over to me and he told me, he said, it's called Love is All Around Us by Donald Bird. He's like, and I play it every time I DJ. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I could understand why, because it's beautiful. Totally. And I was like, I've never heard this before. And so by him telling me about that record, I found out about that album. That album, um, Donald Bird in 125th Street, uh, Isaac Hayes produced that. Mm. And I was like, and it just, it all blew my mind because I'm thinking Donald Bird is his own entity and he's got the Blackbirds and he's got the right. Mizell brothers. He's got all this stuff going on. And I'm like, but Isaac Hayes, like, how does, like, how did that work? You know, so that was a, a discovery for me. But yeah, that record's always been really special to me. So it, I know we talked about a, a little bit about, you know, the, the, uh, the challenges keeping up with new music. Do you find new records that give you the goosebumps? Yeah, every every now and then I do. I do. I was, you know, I, I, I kind of get in my moods. Like sometimes I'm like, nope, I'm just going to listen to Paradise Garage and Larry LeVan for yeah. the next month and a half. But then something will jump out at me and it'll hit me and I'll be like, OK, like um, Hiatus Coyote did that for me. Like when I first heard Hiatus Coyote, I was like, this is, I met uh, Napalm. They brought her into the store um, a few months before the album came out and I got to meet her and talk to her. And I was like, wow, she's amazing. She's beautiful. And I was like, looking forward to hearing the project. And then I kind of, it kind of got to the back of my mind. But then when uh, Nakamura came out, I was like, this is crazy. So that made me want to hear the whole album. And I played that album. I wore that album into the ground. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, um, Dub Lab and KCRW are really good for that. Like they'll they'll showcase a lot of new stuff that's not you know on the beaten path. So um, every now and then something will jump out at me and it'll it'll hit me. Like there's another group called Youssef Kamal, mm -hmm. um, led by a guy named Kamal Williams. I don't think the group is together anymore, but I think Kamal is still making music. But that's another album, one of those one-offs that just is amazing from start to finish. Nice. Um, yeah, but there's quite a few things that have jumped out at me that 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 are newer um as far as hip-hop hip-hop is a little harder because most of the stuff um that is you know out of course is like trappy or whatever but there's yeah. a lot of underground stuff that gets overlooked because it's not you know we don't have the yo mtv raps and you know stuff like that anymore so you sure. can't visibly see it but it's still out there for people to buy and people like master ace and Merce and the living legends are all still making music it's just you just kind of got to go where they are instead of expecting it to come to you right yeah absolutely uh, I mean, that's one of the unfortunate things I think about hip hop is that like, you know, it hasn't really developed those lanes as much as maybe some other, uh, you know, other communities to have like, um, I mean, obviously we still have classic hip hop, but you know, it's mostly people just listening to the records from the nineties and the eighties. Um, right. whereas like you said, a lot of those artists are still making music, but I think there's not the, uh, the support, you know, to, for, to help you find that and, and connect with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, so talk about Amoeba, because, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, Amoeba is this amazing giant record store here in LA. I remember when they came to LA, 
you know, I think I went to the the pre-opening, um, and you know, I, I know it's meant a lot over the years, both here and in the Bay. Um, what is the, you know, what's the place for a store like that today, in in where we're at with music and culture? Well, the surprising thing to all of us, uh, those of us that work there and those of us that buy music, is that people still buy CDs like crazy. Um, of course, right now, vinyl is the thing. Sure. So everybody's buying vinyl. And vinyl is kind of like before it was CDs here and vinyl here, but now it's like they're here. Mm. So it's like you have your people that are dedicated to CDs and just want those. And then you have people that are like all into vinyl and then you have those people that never let vinyl alone so you know between the two of them it's neck and neck but it's it's still um still viable and people are still still it's it's just amazing to me because people are are asking us repeatedly when is the store opening back up and you know uh when can we come in da, da, da. you know people are buying gift certificates like crazy wow. so it's 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 still there i mean people are still wanting physical product and um i was speaking to somebody about this a few days ago um with physical product, I remember back in the day, um, you know, when you bought something, you took it home and you took the packaging off and you took it apart yeah. and you read the liner notes and you read who produced it and who wrote the songs and you read the shout outs, like you read everything. Yep. Um, and now there's such a disconnect from music for people because, you know, you're just getting a song coming at you. Like you, you press play and it comes at you in your ears, but you don't know anything about it. You don't know who's in the group. Sure. You don't know. Um, the song titles, you don't know the order of the songs, you don't know. It's like it's very confusing now to listen to music because you don't have that that resource in front of you to guide you through it. And it's like you're more connected with the music that that you can touch and feel. And I think that's why people are still shopping in the store because those people still want to feel that connection to the music. They don't they don't have that disconnect. Like a lot of the kids today, they they were just raised on MP3. They've never had to touch a CD or a record. So mm -hmm. they're not they don't have that same relationship with music. It's kind of all just flowing through their head. Whereas, you know, the rest of us want to have that. We miss that connection. We miss that, that, that feeling, you know, anything from reading the liner notes to listening to the crackle on the record while you're looking at the back and while you're, mm -hmm. you know, even the smell of the inside of the sleeve, it's like, it's just a, it's a whole feeling that comes with absorbing music. And it's like, if you miss some of it, you know, it's just not, it just doesn't hit you the same, but some people will never, you know, some kids will never know that feeling. They just kind of, you know, they're going with what they're going with, but that's the good thing about Amoeba is that you still get that feeling. You still get to, to physically touch product. And there's also some magical moments in the store where you will see, you'll, you'll walk by and you'll hear people talking about music. You'll hear two people that don't know each other, but they're standing next to each other and they're talking about, yeah, the first time I got this record was when this happened or whatever. And, and my wife threw my record away. So I'm here to buy another one. And <laughs> you know, they're laughing about that or whatever. And then there's, you know, groups of people that are excited about what they bought. And it's just beautiful to see that still happening in this day where there's so much disconnect to music. So that's the beautiful thing about the store is that we can still have those moments. Um, I know a lot of people were bitter when Amoeba opened because uh, Aaron's was everybody's go-to in the beginning. Aaron's on, was sure. on Highland. And even that was my go-to before Amoeba opened. But once Amoeba opened, everybody was just like, well, let's just go to Amoeba instead of, you know, going to five different stores. But mm -hmm. You know that was just a, a kind of casualty of of the of the game, but yeah, know, I mean, I definitely remember like, doing. you know, I had to drive. Uh, I forget there was, you know, I had to drive the one store for my hip hop, you know, one store for my house records, uh, you know, the classic rock was somewhere else, uh, all that, mm -hmm. right? And then you know, yeah. what was that? I forget that spot on Pico that had like the hip hop. 
That was Martin's. Yeah, Martin's. It was Crane's. It was Crane's, Crane's first, then it was yep. Martin's. Yeah. Yep. So I used to go down there, and then you know Melrose for for dance music, whatever, all that. So um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's funny. Hey, if you're enjoying this one, uh, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Just about a year ago, I had C minus another amazing DJ, also part of the Motown on Mondays crew. Um, we actually just released the video of that if you want to check us out on YouTube. And, you know, C- um, was a DJ for a long time on Power 106, and he was the first one that I can remember to also be talking about rock and heavy metal uh, and went on to DJ for some of the biggest bands in the world. And um, he's got some great stories in his episode as well. Um, tell me about, I know you're involved with Beat Junkies with, uh, Ladies of Sound. Um, talk, talk about that a little bit. So the Ladies of Sound is like the, it's the female division of the Beat Junkies. It's not the same level as far as like official, you know, the, but it's their school division where all the girls that go to the school, um, kind of not, well, not graduate into it, but they're, they're, they're just, that's they're part of the of the school sure. because there's not there's no female official female beat junkies aside from symphony but she retired uh, years ago mm-hmm. um so that's their way of ha- letting the females have a, a a visual there and there's a lot of female students and they're all they're they're killing it i mean it's just beautiful to see um i'm not of course i'm not a beat junkie but um i do a lot of work with the ladies of sound they had me come in and um be a part of a panel um and it was me and javin uh, Raitos, Shorty, um, and Bella Fiasco. And we all just got to talk to the girls about what it's like to be a female DJ out there in the, in the world and, you know, what kind of reactions we get and struggles we have and, you know, perks and things like that. You know, we just got to talk about that for a day and that was cool. And they're going to do more of those. They're supposed to do them every three months, but this pandemic and other things have happened, but, um, but yeah, it's it's building and it's really beautiful just to see all the girls and and just the talents they have. It's it's crazy, it's beautiful. Yeah. So how how do you see that changing? I you know I've had Bella on the show. We talked a little bit about some of the, you know, unique challenges of being a female DJ, um, and and I think like you say, not all challenges, just you know perks and some things are different and some things are not different, right? Um, but you know I think it's been a long road for women in DJing and in, you know, music in general, um, you know, how, how do you see it changing, not just for yourself, but for, for, you know, the other women that you, you talk to compared to maybe when you started? It's definitely more, um, being more open, um, because there's a lot of, there's, you know, there was, there used to be the, the, the Paris Hiltons of the game that were just kind of trying to be cute and just like, Hey, I'm DJ, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my hesitations when I started was like, you know, I don't want to be seen as the cutesy girl that's trying to DJ. Like, I just, I want to DJ. Like I want to play records. I don't care who's looking at me or any of that. You know, I, I'm more concerned about my music first. And then, you know, if I'm cute, cool. But if my, you know, if I'm cute and my set's train wrecking, like that's, that's a waste of everybody's time. So, but I think now, Um, because women, you know, women want to do it. And there's a lot of dope women that, that, you know, have a a full lane to do it. Um, And, you know, there's, there's so much more room being made for women in all kinds of capacities now in in the era that we're in. So, I mean, I just see it getting bigger and bigger. I see more women do, there's so many female crews too. Um, I 
of course I can't think of any of them right now. I know there's the Peaches crew up in the Bay. Okay. Um, and there was the girls um, who insp- actually inspired me in the beginning. Um, they're not a crew, but um, Rashida and mm-hmm. Valida and um, uh, Siren and um, Mia and uh, who am I forgetting? I'm Lisa, Lisa J. Okay. They all had a crew called Cultura mm-hmm. and they had a night called Cultura and it was all girl DJs. And I was like, they're all killing it every week and they're all dope and they're all beautiful. And I was like, I would love to have this, but there was not any djs like as far as you know sure on my level that were doing it like them and i didn't want to you know of course i couldn't infiltrate their circle i was like well i got to try to figure out my own but it was like since i couldn't find any any like a crew of girls like that i was like well let me just stick with the boys so i just kind of you know hung around all the boy djs i knew and just kind of came up like that but now you know with ladies of sound and a lot of the other women that are djing now there's opportunities for women to have crews and women to have um structures and you know to build their own um entities you know based on like what the beat junkies have laid out and you know what other crews have laid out so it's you know i just think the possibilities are endless for us to you know to rise up in it yeah yeah it's it's amazing it's been great to see that evolution um uh there was something i want to talk about something you did on facebook some years ago you had this oh yeah uh (laughs) So, you know, all of a sudden on my Facebook, you know, you're posting, you know, this song or that song or this artist or that artist. Um, and, you know, I got sucked into it. I know a lot of people did. And it was mm-hmm. like a super fun month or a few weeks, however long that lasted. Um, uh, you know, some of those were like, you know, infuriating that, you know, we were forced <laughs> to make a choice between these two great, two great things. And um but, you know, I found it so interesting. I'm curious, you know, I know we're going back a little bit, but, you know, I'm curious how that came about and what what you took away from that experience. Um, I was having some difficulties. That's all I'm going to say. I was having some personal difficulties and I needed to get into a space where I got my mind off of what was happening in, in my life. So I said, let me just start this I just, I just, it just started. I don't know how, how it started, but I just started it. And, um, but I remember why I was frustrated and I was like, I need to get my mind off of things. Let me, you know, cause I didn't want to do a rant on Facebook about what was going on. I was like, that's what I don't want to do, sure. but I need to do something to engage with, with people because I was not, um, I wasn't connecting with people and it was, it was just a lot going on at the time. So it was a stress relief pretty much. So, and music is always a relief to me. It's always something that, that brings me joy and and takes my mind off of heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just started and I don't even remember what the first question was, but I remember I started it and then I started getting responses and I was like, and then somebody else, you know, gave a response, you know, one of those responses where you ask one or the other and they say, okay, but what about this? And I was like, all right. So I took that and I made another question. Okay. What about this versus this? And it just went into this thing. So it's basically like, like uh, Parliament versus Funkadelic or like mm-hmm. Slay versus Cameo or like um, um, Tina Marie versus, uh, I don't know, I, I, but it was all these artists versus artist uh, arguments. And then, you know, like you said, some people got frustrated, like, why are you making me do this? It's <laughs> like, I'm not making you do this. I'm just trying to stimulate your brain. So then the beautiful part of it is that, and most people would have got upset, but I didn't care because I was just in it for the fun other people started doing it. Right. So other people started saying, okay, this group versus this group, you know, Metallica, Metallica versus Megadeth, and blah, 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 you know, so it started going and going and it just went into this frenzy. And then I remember you posted, um, I think you posted on Twitter 
or something, but you were like, yo, if you guys aren't on Facebook following Mona Lisa, she's got this thing going on. It's crazy. And it was so many people engaging and it was just like, it was kind of like I started a party because Mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be festive instead of being upset about what was going on. So I just started a party and it really ended up being like a, it was like a, like a, like a two week long party. So once everybody else started doing it, it just took on a, a life of its own and everybody started doing it. And it was just like, you know, facing artists versus artist, song versus song, um, genre versus genre. It just got to be, and then it got to be sneaker versus sneaker. It just right. got, it got really crazy food versus food. Sure. It got into a whole nother thing, but it started with music and it was organic and it was beautiful. And uh, I wish we could do stuff like that all the time, but there's another friend of mine on the East coast um, named uh, Nikki. And she started doing it on her own on her page. She does it now. She does it like regularly, mm. but hers are like way more stimulating and also way more frustrating, <laughs> but it's the same thing. It still brings you that joy of thinking about stuff that you weren't thinking about until you know until she brought it up so yeah so that's cool what would you learn from that um i started thinking about people started bringing up stuff that i forgot about Mm. and it made me think about songs i forgot about and you know and and i grew up on so many different kinds of music you know like i was saying for my family but then when i was in school um i grew up on new wave and heavy metal and and just different kinds of stuff so there were songs that people were bringing up and groups that people were bringing up that i forgot about a lot of new wave groups a lot of just stuff off the past so it helped me get into my into my digging to help me find new records at the record store that i forgot about it helped me put play sets together for future gigs and things like that i was like oh you know what i forgot about that song let me throw it in my computer let me go get the vinyl let me go get the 45 so i can be able to play it next time i have the opportunity because i completely forgot about it so that helped me a lot as dj too yeah i mean i think i actually made a playlist of like all the all the songs that you had called out or that you know and just kind of put it all together um uh did it help? Yeah, because somebody did ask. I don't know if it was you that asked to do that or somebody asked to do that. Yeah. 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 Super fun. Um, so you said it, that was kind of in response to something you were going through in life. Did it, did it, did you find that it helped? Yeah, it helped me take my mind off of it, definitely. And it helped me kind of just say, ah, oh, forget about it. And I just, you know, brushed it off and got past it. So yeah, yeah it definitely helped. Yeah. No, I mean, I thought, you know, uh, uh, that has stuck with me over the years because I mean, you know, partly because of the music, but also partly because, you know, I, and, and I don't think any of us knew whatever you were going through, but you know, you could see real time, this community coming together to get excited about something. And I think that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as we sometimes like to talk about the downside of social media, like that's the upside, right? That's the, like, we right. can play a game with each other around the world. We can have fun. We can share these moments uh, that are, you know, and that, that was so great because, you know, it wasn't sponsored by a brand. It wasn't like, there wasn't a social media strategist planning out, you know, this is how it's going to go down. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, that's like, uh, it's back to what I was saying at the beginning, right? It's back to that night in the club or that week, you know, out every night at the clubs where you're just running into people. And, And I think you helped us recreate a little bit of that energy um, in a different yeah. setting, which is cool. Yeah. Um, there's, there's been a lot of people on Facebook now that are doing that yeah. to, to pass the time during the pandemic. They're asking each other, like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite, 
song what's this you know and it's you know that the, they're doing it now to to get through this time so sure. i think that's that's helped a lot too i mean even versus is like a whole brand kind of ba- built around that same concept right right um, right which right. is cool i think they're you know they're they tapped into something that's like we want that competition whether it's a real competition or not you know whether it's whether there's a prize or not doesn't matter right but we want mm-hmm. you know it's just fun to be involved in yeah, absolutely. Um, that's cool. So, what are you, um, what are you, what are you working on next? What are you most excited about? Um, I'm excited about getting on Twitch. So, um, nice. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but everybody um, that I, well, not everybody, but a lot of DJs that I know are um, active on Twitch. Basically, yeah. Twitch is a gaming platform, and um, they have a, a, a thing for music. They have different categories, music, cooking, whatever. And uh, the music category, most of the DJs that I know and love are on there. And the beautiful thing about it is it's people all over the country and all over the world. So I can now watch DJ Nuts in Brazil do a set. I can watch Natasha Diggs in New York do a set. I can watch Rich Medina do a set. Uh, I can watch JC in Atlanta do a set. And I don't have to leave my house. I can go to all these parties. It's like party hopping, but I'm in, I'm sitting in front of my computer. So, yeah. um, and you basically set up, you know, your camera and your and your. It's a, it's kind of complicated, um, but you set up your your thing in your in your place, and you just push a button and go live, and you can play for all these people. And there's um, chat rooms, so people talk to each other in there, so they get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, ways that you can support the DJs by subscribing to their channel. Or you can cheer for them, which is basically like giving them a tip. So there's uh, money to be made on it too, which is cool. So a lot of DJs are on there and they're making making money and yeah. making new followers and things like that. So it's beautiful that we can all keep going in the situation that we're in. And you know, it's not a lot of money, but for most of us, it's more about keeping that feeling, that sure. good feeling that DJing gives you, as opposed to getting paid a whole bunch of money. But you Absolutely. know, it does help. Yeah. So I'm um, trying to get set up for that now. Um, getting all my wires and things connected or whatever i'm getting all that together as we speak so i'm hoping to get started before the end of the year um, oh nice hopefully i'll be up and running by january but because i was um caregiving for my mom most of the year so i wasn't home so now that i'm home i'm trying to get all that together now while i was caregiving for her i was watching the djs on twitch and that was also helping me mm-hmm. you know take my mind off of things and you know help me feel like i was still kind of able to party a little bit because even though you're not in the you know in a club you still have your drink you still have your sure. you know your conversation so you still kind of feel social which is cool yeah so but hopefully i should be up and running in a couple of weeks nice. it's not like it's not like serato where you just plug in and go like everybody's situation is different so depending on your budget or depending on your setup or whatever you have you have to buy certain things to be able to connect mm-hmm. and make it work so it's all been a process, but I'm almost there. So nice. that's the next thing I'm looking forward to doing. Um, and the beautiful thing about that too, is that you don't have to cater to a dance floor, to a crowd. You just kind of set your mood. Like if one day you want to play nineties music or one day you want to play all music about food or one day you want to play uh, all music about weed or whatever, you can, you can pick your theme and play whatever you want. And there's the way the, the, uh, visual setup you can see all the rooms that are open you can see who's you know who's playing so you can click off and you know listen to rich and you can listen to natasha and you can listen to whoever you can just bounce back and forth through the rooms and there's no cover charge there's no bouncer there's no right, right. you know yeah. it's, it's all you know it's all open and it's cool so ah, that's so cool i can't wait to that. uh see you on there i hope you'll uh 
you'll tell some stories maybe in between some of the songs and you well, could, you could work out some some ideas for the book I could try I mean there's there's telling stories are complicated because there's bad stuff and good stuff to work through so like if somebody asked me a question in this in the chat like hey did you ever do this I could say yeah and then I'll tell the story but me offering stories up it just kind of I usually don't do that just because it doesn't flow well, but I got you. if somebody asks me a question in the chat, I'll, I'll answer it and I'll probably tell a few stories after that, but yeah. Nice. Well, whatever it is, definitely. Uh, excited to see you, what you come up with. Um, I got to, I got to get to a quick lightning round before I let you go. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm not good at these, but I'll do my best. Well, that's all right. We're going to cut out the gaps so it'll make you okay, sound good. like you just fired them off. Thank um, you. <laughs> what's your favorite city to travel to? Um, I haven't been to too many places, but my favorite place right now is the Bay because they are so, I mean, it's California, first of all, shout out to California, but they're very, they're so, you know, into music and they're so here for it, whatever it is. Like they're not, they're not as picky as LA. I don't think, I mean, maybe they are, maybe I don't spend too much time up there, but every time I've been up there, it's always been a great experience and the crowd has been fantastic. So the Bay is my favorite place to play right now. So where so I grew up in the Bay. Uh, that was my first club scene before I, I came to the L.A. scene. Um, where, where do you mm-hmm. go in the Bay? Um, well, the uh, we have a Motown on Mondays has different right. chapters in different cities. So they have a Motown on Mondays up there. They have one in San Francisco and one in Oakland. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly Oakland. Oakland is where I've had the majority of my gigs up there. So shout out to Oakland. Um, uh, the place that I used to play is no longer open because of COVID, um, Legionnaire. Yeah. Um, but that's where they had 45 sessions and that's where they used to have the Motown on Mondays, but that was my spot. So looking forward to playing at some new venues, you know, when, when things lighten up, sure, whenever that sure, happens, sure. but, but yeah. Nice. Um, you're not going to like this question. Oh God. <laughs> who's your favorite DJ? Um, that answer changes a lot because everybody, I, I have so many favorite DJs just based on what they do and how they do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could say that I love, I, I, I'm a big fan of J-Rocks because J-Rock can DJ blindfolded with his hands, with one hand behind his back. You know, he can, he can do so many things and he's such, he's kind of like a magician when it comes to DJing. Yeah. But I also love Rich Medina because Rich Medina just gets you in that mood that just, just, he just gets you in the right place. It's like, it's like magic. Like he just starts and just gets you in the right place, no matter what's going on. Like, you know, it, he always knows exactly how to do it. Um, I could say Rhettmatic because Rhettmatic is so technical with his hands and he's so knowledgeable and he's been in the game so long and he's just a great, a great person in general. And it just reflects in his DJing. I could say Natasha Diggs because Natasha always takes you on a journey. She always takes you on a journey that has you like wanting never to come back down. Like she always takes you there. Um, it's, it's, it always changes. I mean, Daz, Daz is one of my favorite DJs of all time because Daz the way he plays hip hop, you know, comes from his heart mm-hmm. and he plays a lot of, he just knows instinctively to play those album cuts that you forgot about and those B sides that you forgot about and those rare grooves that blend perfectly in with the hip hop. So it's like, and then there's Kilu, like and Kilu's it's the same as Daz. Like he just knows what to do and, and, and plays all the right off the cuff songs. Like he introduces you to the right songs that you never heard before. So that answer just goes on and on and on. So there's yeah, not those, one. Those are all great. Those are all great. Um, uh, and and it, so who's a DJ that surprised you how good they were? Like you weren't expecting. Um, 
Well, I'll, t- I'll tell uh, you, I'll tell you mine. Uh, okay. And c- so for me, it's, it's Ali Shaheed Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, you know, obviously I love tribe and I knew that he's, you know, talented, but a lot of times, you know, the guys in groups are, they're not great behind the wheels. Right. And like, and he was just incredible. You know, he played a show for us. He played a science show for us in Philly and just like ruined the decks. <laughs> And I was like, wait, you know, I just wasn't expecting that, right? So, so that's the one for me. Well, I could, I could have two. I have two answers because I can't because they, they both have different reasons. Um, I would say be real mm. because I expected. I mean, just you just expect the DJ to be better than the rappers. Sure. But and this is no disrespect to Mugs at all. Shout out to Mugs, I love you. But be real is dope like it's not i'm not gonna say he's doper than mugs but yeah. he's just as dope as mugs and i wasn't expecting him to be any i'm just thinking you know he's djing why like what you know right. i saw his name on the bill at apex and i was like okay well let's go see what this is and i was like wow he's k- killing it like and it, it's it's not that i didn't expect him to be dope but i didn't expect him to be that dope mm-hmm. you know it was just yeah. like i expect him to be like okay he can play some records but whatever right. but he he killed it um, and the other one was Russell Peters. Mm. I didn't know Russell Peters had been DJing since he was a kid. I had no idea. I just yeah. knew Russell Peters as a comedian. So Jerobi had a um, had a, a cookout a few years ago at Line Hotel, and Russell Peters came through and was DJing. I was like, Russell Peters is about to DJ. What's about to happen here? This is this is I've never seen this before. But I didn't, you know. Again, I wasn't expecting him to be whacked. Sure. I just wasn't expecting yeah, him to be know. as dope as he was. Yep. I mean, he was cutting and scratching, and he was, you know, he was killing it. And I was like who knew that but you know apparently everybody else that knew his history knew that he had been (laughs) djing you know since he was a kid but like i had no idea i was blown away i was like he's amazing there's another guy what's the guy's name that that um directed um the movie chef oh john favreau Um, yeah john favreau is an amazing dj is that right that's another one yeah he showed up at at jerobi's party too and i just thought he was there hanging out too he was you know russell's djing and and john is standing there and then he got on and i was like what is happening here like but i mean jerobi's good for that like he's good for you know bringing you know people off the cuff like you're not expecting this you know the unexpected and john favreau is an amazing dj too i'm not sure i don't remember him cutting and scratching but i remember (laughs) his selections being amazing and i remember everything just being dope and i was just like blown away by that too that's amazing those are great ones okay what's the last great book you read um okay um there's quite a few um uh i will say uh gucci man's book i forgot the name of it but gucci man's book um was was really good um and i think there's a new one out now but the first one the the, i think it's his autobiography um i was surprised at how good it was um because i always wanted to know his story of of you know what he went through and and everything and how he got cleaned himself up you know in jail or whatnot yeah um his book was really good um rick james's book was really good i think it's called glow i think it's called glow i can't remember um and then uh what am i think there's another book um contact high mm-hmm. which is contact high is more of a picture book mm-hmm. but it's still a thorough book it's a, of, uh, it's a lot of pictures that we've seen over and over but it shows the backstory of the pictures and it shows some of the angles that we never saw um and uh hmm. those are all great i haven't read the gucci man but um but i i did read the second one the gucci man guide to greatness which is uh 
Soren Baker, uh, shout right. out to Soren. He was just on our show and yeah. talked about writing that book. Um, and I, I may go back and check out the, the autobiography because it sounded cool. Um, yeah. What movie have you seen the most in your life? <laughs> Airplane. <laughs> I've seen Airplane movie. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And the funny thing about Air, it's Airplane and Airplane too, really, uh -huh. but... I've seen that movies, those movies so many times and I still catch stuff in the background that has me cracking up. Like still, like I'm still like, what is that over there? Um, that those two and weird science, weird mm. science is probably my favorite movie of all time. I mean, it's one of those movies that I can recite all the words to. So um, they just, they just released a, a 25th, it was 20 or 30th anniversary. I can't remember what year it was, but it's an anniversary blu-ray only mm -hmm. of weird science and it's got a bunch of clips of of stuff that was deleted from the movie oh, wow. so that's been great to revisit the movie and that's see cool. stuff that i would never seen before and the crazy part is some of those parts explain some of the parts of the movie like not explain them but sure like the i mean just to get into it they um the part where they go from um the school and they go directly to the bedroom where they're watching tv and talking about making the doll mm -hmm. there's a part where they're in the kitchen and they're talking about the Frankenstein movie, which is how it came into play in the first place. Right. Cause I'm thinking, how did they just end up watching the Frankenstein movie? I've always thought that my whole life. And then the, the deleted scene shows them talking to shows them start to start watching the Frankenstein movie. And it shows them in the kitchen, you know, talking about these things. So yeah. then by the time they get to the bedroom, it makes more sense. That's so great. I was like, this is mind blowing. So, yeah. That's so cool. I want to check that out. I, I, I saw airplane in the theater. My grandmother took me, I must have been, you know, eight or nine years old. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I've, I mean, you can watch that movie over and over. Um, and it's always funny. It's always sure. funny. Oh, and Vacation. National oh, Lampoon's yeah. Vacation is another one. I've seen that a thousand times, and it's never not funny. We watched, my son is into that. We've, wa we've watched all of them this year, uh, the, the whole mm -hmm. series, even the new one, which is, you know, it's, it's all right, but it's, it's still worth watching. Um, <laughs> last one. If we work together, what's something I would hear you say over and over? It is what it is. And at the end of the day, <laughs> I say those all the time. Okay. Um, I always say things could always be worse. That is, that's like my, my mantra for everything, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter if I'm cooking something and it burns or if I'm driving and there's some rain or whatever, it's things could always be worse. So whatever you're going through, whatever is happening, like if you were to tell me, Oh, I just cut my finger. I'm like, well, things could be worse. You could have cut your, you could, you could have to go to the hospital and have your finger sewn back on. Like yeah. there's always, I always say that, like it always comes out sometime during the day when I'm doing something, it's always like, well, could always be worse. So that's, it's, that's kind of my motto. That's great. That's a great perspective. I'm sure that's, that's helpful because we get stuck in how, uh, you know, sometimes things aren't going our way, but it's, it's almost like you said what the DJ said, right? It's like that record didn't work. Well, let's, let's put on the next one. Yeah, because I mean, at least I didn't clear the dance floor out. At least people weren't throwing <laughs> stuff at me. At least I didn't get cussed out. That's right. The record just didn't work. So move on to the next one and it's fine, you know. I love That's it. That's it. I love it. Well, thank you for doing this. It's so much talk fun talking with you. Long overdue. I really appreciate you doing doing the show with me. Um, how should everybody find you uh, and follow you w when you get ready to launch your Twitch show and all that stuff? So all my social media handles are pretty much the same. It's Mona Lisa 7872. 
Um, that's on Twitter, Instagram, and that'll be my Twitch page as well. So if you want to find me on Twitch, you can just search for my name, Mona Lisa seven eight seven two. Same thing with Instagram. Same thing with Twitter. Um, but that's, those are the best ways to find me. I also have a page on Mixcloud, which okay. is I think Mixcloud might be under Mona Lisa LA. It's either under Mona Lisa LA or Mona Lisa seven eight seven two. But Mixcloud is another source to get um, mixes from me. Dope. Well, thanks again. Can't wait to see what uh, comes next. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, that was Mona Lisa Murray on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you check out Mona Lisa on Twitch. Make sure you check out her Dub Lab show. Whenever there's clubs again, you definitely want to get out to Motown on Mondays and check her out. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. <laughs>